Hallelujah. Well, it's good to see you. It's important you know that you're valuable to the kingdom of God. Uh, I think sometimes uh, we can get caught up into church world a little bit where some people feel more important than others. And that's a shame to feel. It's not bad if, you're, if you get to be the guy up front and you can feel important all the time. But if you're not that guy, which I spent most of my life not being that guy, um, you can feel second class, that I haven't achieved it until I've reached that point. And so we want to make sure you feel as important in your calling with God as anyone else. Amen? When you're in your mother's womb and God placed a call on you, um, you didn't get to vote. You didn't get to say, hey, I want to be an apostle or a mighty businessman or I want to be the prophet. You didn't get to vote on those things. So why would you think that your calling is less important than someone else? God called you and put it on you. And then you find yourself having to walk it out as you follow him. I'm going to go over here in John chapter 14 today. This is a verse that's been giving me trouble, if I can say it that way, or insight for a little while. I've been stuck on it. Uh, Let's start in verse 15, and we're going to read down to verse 17. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, we'll start on this verse. If you love me, keep my commandments. How many know there's never a question of God's love for you? That when you were the worst unsaved sinner, he didn't love you less and he loves you now. And he won't love you more when you're in heaven than he loves you when you were before you were saved. God is love. That's never a question. So it's never a question of God loves you. You don't have to earn it. You have it because he is love. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, in context here, the commandments he's talking about is everything Jesus talked about, preached to them. But more than that, that they have to get born again. That they have to follow Jesus through salvation. Right now, they're Jewish Old Testament saints, not born again. And by saying these words, if you love me, keep my commandments, he's basically saying, you know, you've been good. You walked with me three and a half years, and we've seen many miracles. You've seen the dead raised, and you've seen blind eyes open and deaf ears open, and devils cast out. But if you don't accept me as your Savior, you're not going to go to heaven. You're not born again until you accept Jesus as your Savior. And he had not been glorified yet. So that's the commandments that he was telling them to keep. Follow me into the next family through salvation. And I'll pray the Father, and he'll give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So until now, the Holy Spirit was not in them. He was with them. Now, it's important we understand that, because these are men who walked in power, cast out devils, in Jesus' name, that were not born again. See, your access to God is different than theirs at this moment. So it's important we be careful not to take instructions given to them and apply them to us. Because at this moment, we're born again. They are not born again yet. And he's telling them, the Holy Spirit dwells with you. Now, they're not born again yet. But through their 
experience of serving God, they saw the Holy Ghost work with them, alongside of them, in doing miracles. It's no different than Moses seeing the Red Sea split. It's no different than Noah seeing the flood come and him. I'm sure there was supernatural help in building the ark. It's no different than than all the blessings the Old Testament saw, saints saw. They saw the Holy Ghost move in their life and walk with them. You know, waking up every every morning, there's a cloud by day and a fire by night, manna feeding you. They had experiences with the Holy Ghost when they were not saved. And this verse here has been rocking my world because I feel that the church world today as a whole has endeavored to experience God dwelling on the outside of them even though they're born again. So the way they live, the way they think, the way they have a relationship with God, the way they learn from God, the way they experience God's presence is no different than an Old Testament saint because they've learned how to experience God from the outside instead of from the inside. I know it can seem kind of technical, but to me this is very important because this one word here, that he dwells with you and will be in you, to me that, that indicates two different ways the Holy Spirit works with men. Now the Holy Spirit, he's not new. He's been around as long as God's been around forever. He's as much God as the Father and Jesus. He is God. So he doesn't change. He's the same. But something changed where he can now work in you, whereas before he can only work outside of you. And this is you being born again. Jesus was leading the disciples down a path. The next verses simply talk about him telling them, you have to follow me into salvation. That even though God worked with you, and you saw miracles, and you saw signs and wonders, that was the Holy Spirit working outside of you, and you'll still go to hell if you don't accept me as your Savior. He's the vine, Jesus is. And you must be born into that vine, grafted into him. The Jewish people had a vine where they were connected to God under the Old Testament. But the Old Testament became complete through Jesus on the cross. Now the Old Covenant is obsolete. You can go to the temple and you can take, go right to the Holy of Holies and you won't find God's personal presence there. Because when the, the curtain was ripped in two, that was God saying, you won't find me here anymore. See, salvation was the only way to God after Jesus was glorified. And it's no problem for us Gentiles. Like, yeah, great, we understand that. But do you understand, you've been raised, your whole family, your, your family, your dad, your mom, their families, their grandparents, their grandparents, with a, with a way, a path to go to God. They experienced God in incredible ways, but now that came to a close with Jesus. Because the Old Testament was there to bring us to Jesus, not to show us how to live for God. After Jesus had come. So here it says, verse 17, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. What's rocking my, my world with this wording is, I now, as a born-again believer, 
can have the Holy Spirit come and dwell in me. Now, that's more than just being baptized in the Holy Ghost, the, the one experience. That is, now he wants to do something miraculously inside of me. See, so much of the church world is trying to win over the world, and they're afraid to get alone with the Holy Spirit because he, he knows you. And when you spend time with him, he'll start to acknowledge things in your life that you don't want him to acknowledge. I'd much rather make you deal with me than me deal with me. You know, that's a controller. A controller is someone who gets angry. The reason they're angry is because they don't want you touching their buttons. You know, you, you say something they don't like. Well, they'll train you how not to say stuff they don't like. How not to bring up things that they don't want to address in themselves. They will lash out and torture you, pick on you, make you feel uncomfortable because they're training you, don't mess with me or I'll bite you. You know, we have a little dog that's nice and sweet, barks, but innocent as can be. Then we have another little dog that we have to lock up because, you know, he even knows. Like when when people come over, we send him to the closet to, to lock him in there. He'll bark all the way to the closet knowing he can't control himself. He'll bite people. Well, he'll train you real quick. Don't do this or I'll bite you. You know, well, that's what anger does in a person who's angry or bitter or mean, nitpicking. Is they're training you, don't mess with me or I'll make punish you. I'll punish you so much that you will quit messing with me. I remember when I was running the Bible college, I had to deal with many, many people, hundreds of people. And certain people would come in and, and I knew not to talk about this topic or not to bring up this subject. And finally, the Lord spoke to me and said, why are you tiptoeing around their problems? I said, well, God, I'm loving them. No, no, you're just afraid to step on their toes because of what, how they will react to you. I said, what happens, and this is what he told me, was what's going on is they're having a great day because you won't address the issue that's in the room, and so you're uncomfortable walking around it, and it's their problem. And he said, do what you're supposed to do. And if it means stepping on their toes, make it their problem, not your problem. And so I learned along the way that people can train you without you realizing how not to mess with them. Don't push me. Don't ask me to do things. Don't step on my toes. And we come up with many ways to control people around us. Because it's easier to mess with you. It's easier for me to deal with your emotions than it is to deal with my own. And so when it says here, the Holy Spirit dwells with you, he's saying, as Old Testament saints, you have experienced the Holy Ghost and his power and his presence, but only from the outside. There's a work he wants to do once you're born again, where he will come and work on your inside and be on the inside of you. So just from this one verse, the Lord has been showing me how much emphasis he puts on you And not so much on the work that he can do through you, as much as the work that he can do in you. And if we try to sidestep that, the work that he wants to do in me, then we end up becoming ministers like Old Testament saints, where I'm here to show you God, but God's working on the outside instead of the inside. Because you know, you guys pray that when you spend time praying in tongues, he's working on the inside of you. 
And to him, that's the miracle. The miracle is the inside, the work that he does on the inside, bigger than the Red Sea splitting, bigger than the deaf hearing, the blind seeing, is the work, the transformation that he can do on the inside of you. But I believe because the church has been blinded so much to the simplicity of transformation that we have developed and learned how to experience God as born-again believers, but no different than the experience of God that the Old Testament saints had, which is why we go for services in worship that are looking on the outside for an experience on the outside. Instead of an intimate experience as a child to a father. Christy and I first got married, we had a little dog, and her name was Maddie. And we had another little dog named Spencer, because we thought Maddie was alone, so we better get her a friend. And our friends, they would tell us we need to get kids, because we talked about the dogs like they were our children. And Maddie, Maddie was a dog. Now, Maddie didn't know she was a dog. Maddie, she thought she was our child. And we loved Maddie. See, you know, I got to admit, I'd fall asleep on the couch, and I'd wake up, and Maddie would be laying on my shoulder. My arm would be numb. And i think, well, don't move, because you don't want to disturb Maddie. And I had to remind myself, man up, you (laughs) you know. But you love that little creature, and they love you back. And as much as Maddie loved me and I loved her, uh, she can never be my daughter. It wasn't a question of love. It was a question of natures. We are different creatures. I could try to make Maddie my child, but it was impossible because she was a different nature, a different creature than me. Well, that's how the Old Testament saints were with God. They were different species. They were not like God. His nature was not in them. In fact, they were the polar opposite. As good as God was good is as dark as sin was sin in man. And God still worked with man and still talked to man and put boundaries around man. But when Jesus was the firstborn of many brethren, that opened the pathway for the rest of the people to be born out of that family into the family of God. Meaning that your nature is now as much as God as God is. Your nature is as righteous as Jesus is. You won't be more righteous when you get to heaven than you are today. Because it's that nature that makes you righteous. So to have the Holy Spirit come and dwell in you and work in you is telling you where you grow from. Where true change comes from. It comes from the inside. I remember I was um, in prayer and the Lord showed me it was, it was a, a vision, you might say, or, or an image in me. And I had walked into the throne room of God, the Holy of Holies. And I walked into the Holy of Holies. And the Lord, lit, his face lit up. And he was sitting on the throne. This is a, more of a teaching image that he gave me. And he smiled, he lit up, and he looked at me and said, Before he said anything, his face went from smiling and happy to stern. And he looked at me. All of a sudden, he was very stern with me. He said, who's that? And I looked down, and my right hand was four-year-old Alan. And I remember telling God in this vision, image, I said, well, Father, this is four-year-old Alan. This is younger me. What I said was, He was broken the day my earthly father died, because my earthly dad died when I was four. 
I said, he, I said, he was broken. And I said, because he's broken and, and lost his father, I have a hard time receiving you as my father. So I brought four-year-old Alan in here for you to heal him. So then I, older Alan, can enjoy you and embrace you. And see, I had learned along the years about inner healing as a preacher where I'd go to some churches. Because when you travel and preach to different groups, you learn different things. That's one of the benefits of not, to be, not just being one dominant denomination, but being welcome to different groups. I preached in Baptist church and Mormons churches and you know, all kinds of different places. Well, one church was an inner healing church. That was their focus. If you came broken, they would all surround you and hug you. And say, let's go back to that moment where you experienced some pain, and let's talk about it. And now I want you to go and forgive that person back then, forgive yourself. And it's a way of them trying to address hindrances from the past. Well, so I was shocked when I took little Alan into God's presence, and he wasn't impressed with that type of inner healing. I said, God, I brought him in here to heal him, so you can heal him. So then I'm free to worship you as my father. And the Lord said, I'm not his father. I'm your father. God's not the father of your flesh. He's the father of your spirit. And see, I was trying to take my past into God's presence to experience healing. See, that's all emotional. That's all natural man. And he, he said to me, And as he handed me a little knife, he said, kill him. Now, every mom just got offended at God right there. But see, this is what happens when we take natural ideas and try to bring it into the kingdom of God. Is you need inner healing. No, you need to be able to say, that's not who I am anymore. I refuse to allow the voice of my past to tell me who I am today. And see, that is called mortification. See, look look over in Romans chapter 8. We'll just read verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, that word flesh means old nature, you will die. So if you have the old nature in you, no matter how good you are, even if you're an Old Testament saint, You're still going to die. You're still going to end up in hell. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, this is mortification, I think it said, mortify in the King James. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So now here's some language that you have to accept because it's in Scripture. That there is inward parts of you, deeds of the body. Uh, When I went to Brazil, there's a little town called Bejetos, a little tiny town, but it had the big, they claimed to have the biggest rodeo in the world once a year. Now, us Canadians, we believe we have the biggest rodeo called this Calgary Stampede, but they were saying theirs was bigger. So, you know, second, but second biggest in Bejetos. But they had a statue of a bull that had never been ridden eight seconds. In fact, they showed me a video of that bull doing a flip, knocking the rider off, trying to kill the rider, trying to stomp it to death and stab it to death. 
It had never been ridden more than eight to eight seconds. It was a mean, nasty bull. You ever see those bull riders? They're as skinny as a stick, but they're all muscle. And they get on that little, that big old bull, and you know the bull's what a thousand pounds, and and they're like 120 pounds, and they're just hanging on for dear life, and they couldn't even last eight seconds. All the years of this bull, and they retired the bull and and built it a statue. Now, if they took that bull, the little riders got together, a little club of riders beat by the bull. I wish I could remember the name of the bull, and uh, probably Diablo, I'm sure. <laughs> and and so the little riders got together at the retirement of Diablo the bull, who had beat all of them and tried to kill them. I mean, the bull, this bull wasn't just trying to get them off. He would try to get them off and then try to kill them, stomp them, stab them with his horns, and had injured many people. So all, let's say they had a club of failed bull riders they got together on the retirement party of Diablo the Bull, and they decided, we're going to have a barbecue. And at the retirement of the bull, they slaughtered Diablo the Bull and made a steak out of it. And they, it would have been a tough steak because it's old, but it would have been a good steak if you got bucked off by the bull. Now, there's that steak laying there on, on your plate, raw, right before you cook it. It's not arguing with you. It's not trying to fight you. You pull out the knife. It doesn't run away or try to bite you or run from you. You take the knife and it lets you slice it and you actually eat it. Because it's dead. It's mortified. The source in it, the personality in it, the, the soul, the natural soul in it is dead. It's gone out of the meat. So you can take a creature that's a bull that will kill you. But if you kill it, it's now a piece of meat that won't fight back. So in your deeds of the body, that's telling you, you have a body that's like that bull that has its own deeds and desires. See, your body isn't just the natural skin and toes. It is also the the, uh, natural part of your soul left over from the old man. And it's your job to mortify it, to kill it. See, mortification isn't pretty. It's killing. It's telling you, I want you to kill something in you. Your body is speaking to you. It has deeds and desires and intents and plans. And your job is to not conform it and make it act like a Christian. And this is right here, one of the verses where I think most of the church is stuck at is the definition of transformation. The way you serve God. And I feel that most of the church world in the past has pursued God with a good heart, but without mortifying the deeds of the body, trying to experience God through the outward man, the outward emotions. And that's why there's such an emphasis of searching for experiences, anointings, personal experiences, gold dust falling, and things like that is because they don't know that the real place to find the Holy Spirit is no longer outside of you in the glory cloud, but inside of you where he wants to operate in you to help you to change the world. No. To bring glory into the presence of others. No. To bring God's power. Yeah. No. First, 
to mortify the deeds of the body. To take the personality of the bull, kill it, so it's just a piece of meat. That is the miracle power of the Holy Spirit. See, so many Christians think our job is to take the, the good emotions and pump them up and take the bad emotions and push them down. And to them, that is being Christian-like. And to take the good thoughts and build them up and take the bad thoughts and push them down. And to them, that is success. But in reality, the good emotions that come from your natural man are still to be put to death because they're from your natural man. You have a spiritual body. That's the source of our emotions. And, you know, when I get around some real smart people, I have some smart people in my life, and they're too smart for their own good kind of people. They're very intellectually smart. And they know enough of God to get in trouble, but not enough to get help. Enough of God to get opinionated, but not enough to speak truth. <laughs> and they say something, you know, you faith people, you, you throw your intellect in the trash can. God didn't tell us to be brainless. And they're seeing things so one-dimensionally that they're still seeing themselves as being the carnal person, like an Old Testament saint. They don't realize as you're born again, the inner man comes alive. You now have a source of intellect that is far superior than Einstein could ever have. And that is your spiritual brain, your spiritual mind that is now alive because you received the new nature. The new nature brought to life your inner man. And now your inner man could hear God, think like God, and understand God. Whereas before you were saved, you couldn't. Because all God had to work with was with darkness, with sin in you. You can say amen if you're still with me. So it's when they corner me, like, you guys, you faith people, like, I'll hear things like, we need to quit thinking doctrine so much, and we need just to walk out in faith. That is, like, I think partly because I, this, is, this was what I was told when I first started serving God. Just say no to sin. Stop it. And we all did, and then behind your backs, we didn't. And we just hide it, because now we're embarrassed that we couldn't just overcome it. It didn't include the pathway. See, just say no is perfect to start, but you have to include the pathway. See, putting the death is not saying no. Billy, come on up here. Here's Billy. We'll say Billy is the deed of my body that is unhealthy for me. Now, Billy's going to come and try to tell me I need to go and do something. And just for good preaching, we'll say, drink a glass of beer. So, Billy, come on up here and t whisper, drink a glass of beer. Now, I know enough to say, that's not God. Anyone tells you you should do that, you're free to do that, just say, you're an idiot, that's not God. And, and so, I do love to preach about alcohol and to torture people, the sipping saints. So here comes Billy telling me, you should drink a glass of beer. So this is the deed of my body. Something in my natural part of my soul is telling me, 
to do something that is contrary to God. Now, he's telling me to do it. That means he's not dead yet. So the first thing I do with that deed of the body is I acknowledge the word of God says, no. Technically, I can drink a little bit, you know, for my health's sake. And, you know, that's like a two tablespoons. And you're eating pizza, and i got to drink my wine for my... I drink my little bit for health's sake, and they pour a you know twelve ounce glass while they're eating pizza and hamburgers. You know, it's like no, you're really not doing that. You're trying you're trying to find the line there. Okay, I'll get off of that. I won't pick on the sipping saints too much. Let's say it's even worse. Let's say pornography, because we all can agree pornography is not good. So he's whispered to me to click the wrong button. Now that means that he's still talking to me. So the first step is to say. No. The Word of God says no. I am choosing no. But if all I do is live there at saying no, I haven't fulfilled this verse to mortify the deeds of the body. See, just saying no is willpower, and all of us know with will strength, you do good until you don't do good. Then you're repenting and trying again. And see, this is where I was first taught how to resist sin, deny the devil, tell the devil. I told the devil to leave. Get out of here in Jesus' name, and he'd come back. I'd say, you get out of here, go to hell in Jesus' name, and then he'd come back. You get out of here and don't ever come back, and he'd still come back. He would still come back and tempt me because there was something in me that wanted what he was offering me. So just saying no is the beginning But if you live there, you're going to stumble and fail and try to... You can't kill the natural man with the natural man. It's through the Spirit. So here's my deed of the body, my Diablo bull. And he's coming to tell me, do pornography, do these things. And he's whispering to me. So if he's still whispering to me, he's not dead yet. But there's a process in here where I can take a knife out and kill him. Now he's no longer whispering to me because he's dead. You can just lay there. That's good, good preaching there. <laughs> Thank you, Billy. Give him a hand clap. So by the Spirit, with the help of the Spirit, by the Spirit, you are to mortify the deeds of the body. Now, the body isn't just telling you to go do pornography. The body will also tell you how to live right. The Old Testament saints were not born again, but they still served God. So your natural body will begin to try to mask itself as Christian. See, when you have to shape it, that's not transformation. Transformation is going from one species to being in complete different species. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So this is what we call mortification, where you have a voice in your life that no one else can hear. You can't hear it. No, I can't hear the voice that you struggle with. And it's your job. You can't get this from a service. You can't get this... I'm trying to go somewhere. I'm trying to... You can't get this by begging God. God, please just take that away. Take it away. 
take the desire away. A young lady came up to me when I was a youth pastor. It's like, Pastor Allen, I'm, I'm in love with the wrong boy. He's not saved. He doesn't come to church, but I love him. I want you to pray for me tonight that God will take all that love away from me. So in the morning, I won't love him anymore. And then if that's the way it is, I'll leave, leave him. And it's like, well, that didn't work. <laughs> you know, you have to mortify the deeds of the body. You're not alone with that. The Holy Spirit is in there with you, helping you to mortify. So when someone comes up and says, you just need to walk in faith, what they're trying to say is, you know, there's a person sick over there. These are people, high-level people, in a sense that the enemy uses them to try to dislodge you from spending time in prayer. Have you ever heard of that, uh, have that discussion? You spend too much time in praying, you need to be out ministering to people. Too much time in the Word. And so it's the same attack, just different philosophies. And what they're trying to say, because it is true, you don't want to just learn doctrine and sit there and be educated and not go out and do anything. We don't want that. But it's okay for you to follow God into seasons where that's all you do. You're allowed to do that. No one has a right to tell you what to do but God. You're responsible for your own self. So when they say, we just need to quit pursuing doctrine and just step out in faith, what they're saying is don't overthink it, just go pray for someone. That's what I was taught when I first started serving God. Go out and pray for someone. Go out and witness to someone. And we did. We witnessed to people. We knocked on doors. We jumped into groups at restaurants and in parks. And I put together a program called uh, Summer of Service, SOS, for the young people. We had 40 young people sign up, and they devoted their whole summer. And we had a, a praise and worship band. We had a drama team that were great. And we had a power team. We had little 18-year-old kids breaking bricks with their foreheads and their forearms and, and breaking baseball bats and blowing up hot water bottles, ripping phone books right in half. And, and we'd go out on the street and we'd get a crowd and then we would witness to them and let the young people go minister to them. And so we would go experiencing seeing some people healed and then some people not Some people healed, some people not. And I came to a dead end on that path because what do I do with the people who don't get healed when I pray for them? Where do I go? What do I do? Well, brother, just step out in faith. Well, you just by telling me to go do something, not the Holy Ghost, you tell me go out and do something and dislodging me from doctrines, spending time learning who I am, which is more important, spending time learning who you are or going out and doing. Well, I'll just go out and pray for people. Yeah, until I, you set me up for failure. I may get, I had some good miracles show up, but then I hit a place, a situation where I couldn't get the person healed. Now, what do I do with that? Where do I go with that problem? Where do I go What do I do? What's the answer to just go and pray for people? See, I had thought that the reason why people weren't getting healed was, oh, maybe it's because I wasn't bold enough. So I would get bold and do stupid things. Brother, just get up out of that wheelchair right now. 
You know, most people in a wheelchair, they can walk. They just can't walk well. So you put them in front of a crowd, say, get up. And they get up. Oh, glory to God, they're healed. Well, nothing changed. They just didn't want to look stupid. Excuse me for just being blunt. But just by going and doing and praying, I ran into a dead end. How many have ran into that dead end before? I had one guy, well, we're prosperity. God says we're prosperous. Uh, a member of his church went to an auction and bought a piece of land for, I think, $150,000. Problem was she only had 50 bucks, but she committed to buy the land. She, I'm prosperous. This is going to be used for the, the property, for the, God's kingdom. I'm prosperous. I'm a child of God. I'm blessed. Kept voting until she won. She had, I think, two weeks to pay a certain amount, and she couldn't come up with it. Then after a month, they came and took it back and charged her. <laughs> That's called presumption. Presumption is when you presume that God's going to do something, that God doesn't show up to do it. So I had many people not getting healed. I thought it was boldness. When I found that the bolder I was, it didn't work. Where do I go when I hit that dead end? That's when I learned about the message of the walk of the Spirit. Having the Holy Spirit work in me so he can do more through me. I remember having a, seeing a, a computer in the church, a church. 500 kids running around, young kids running around playing. You get 500 six-year-olds playing. They, they have fun. They fight. They have fun laughing, running around. And over the loudspeaker in, in this image, it said, send an email. And all 500 kids, children, ran to the computer and began to fight over the computer, hitting buttons. They were pulling the thing apart, trying to send an email. But they didn't know how. And then an adult walked through the crowd of kids, went over to the computer, pushed one button, and the computer was sent. And the Lord said to me, I can do more through one mature believer than I can do through 500 immature believers. And I get feisty because I, can, I know when the enemy comes to dislodge us from, to discourage us from the path that we're on. To build an argument to why it's not important for you, for you to spend time with God the Holy Ghost. I know when it comes, because it hits me too. And they come and talk to me, some of these people. And one of the arguments is, faith is not the lack of intellect, Alan. You don't need to throw your brain out to follow God. Exactly. But it's a source of intellect. Do I get my intellect from the Spirit of God into my spiritual man, or do I rely on the intellect of my natural man? And see, well, they're making an argument not to let go of the intellect of their natural man. Because they don't know they have a source of intellect from their inner man. You know you have a source of emotions from your inner man. Love, joy, peace, this is the fruit of the Spirit. Those are emotions. You think in heaven they have no emotions? You think about it. There's, you know, they do an autopsy on a guy. They have the funeral and he calls the wife and says, Ma'am, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I have some really bad news. Well, what's worse than my husband dying? Well, I just did the autopsy. 
And his brain is here in his head. I hate to tell you, your husband's in heaven without a brain. He's in heaven brainless. So he's standing there like a a dumb, mute doll in heaven, unable to communicate or think, because his brain is here. I can't believe he left his brain here on the earth. Well, don't you know that your inner man, your spiritual being, has a brain, but now that brain is alive because the new nature brought it to life. So now you can understand the things of God. Why can the Holy Spirit work in me and teach me now things he couldn't teach the Old Testament saints? Because I changed. He hasn't changed. I became born again. I now can understand the deep things of God. If he could have told me from the natural man, he would have told me stuff before I was saved. He would have taught the disciples before they were saved. He would have told Moses the things, but he couldn't. Because their inner man was not capable until it became lit up by the new nature. The outward man, the deeds of the outward man are who we mortify. Not your skin. Not your, you don't harm your skin. It is the deeds, the desires, the thoughts, the intents of the natural man. I'm going to go over here to John chapter 8. Now, see, many people, when we have the same words, but we mean different things. Have you ever had a toe-to-toe with a, a Mormon, Mormon elder, young man? Actually met a guy named, his last name was Elder. So he had a little black uh, label that said Elder, Elder. Because <laughs> I lived in Mormon-dominant city for years. And so they would knock on our door regularly, the young man witnessing to us. And so we would go toe-to-toe using Scripture and, you know, hey, you guys, you need to get the Holy Ghost. Oh, we have the Holy Ghost. Well, I'm baptized in the Holy Ghost, so so am I. Well, you need Jesus. Oh, we have Jesus. You need to be born again. We're born again. They sound just like me. Like, oh, hey, brother, nice to meet you. But it's a different Jesus. It's a different Holy Spirit. But they give the names to these demons saying it is the same. It's not the same. So we have names and terminology that we have to, it's our job, the prayer center's job to articulate what we mean by the wording that we use. Because if I say the wording Holy Spirit to you, that may mean go to the prayer closet, but to them, someone else, it may mean go to a service where God's moving and they're excited. I've been to services where the people were shouting and cheering and crying and leaping, but I felt nothing on the inside of my spiritual man. Have you been there before? I've been in praise and worship services where the crowds just amazingly, they call it a move of the Spirit, but I felt nothing on my inner man. One service I was in, the beat was going good, and, and the person with me looked over me and said, you're clapping white got to get on beat, clap at the right time. I was clapping wrong, I guess. And, and right then, a, a six foot five, 300 pound man, the preacher said, run. And so half the church got started running around the church. And I didn't feel it. Well, I had a six foot five, 300 pound man run by me, stop, grab my hand and take off. So I was running for my life, you know, but I wasn't feeling it. But you can get an emotional high. Just in the world, they'll tell you how to get an emotional high. 
it's not the same as a spiritual move, a spiritual change. That's why you can be in a service where the, the praise and worship is quiet and sweet, and you can feel it. I had one guy, we had a banquet for our Bible college. We had two piano players. One was a pastor kid, a PK kid, who I had to deal with all the time. Great heart, but problems with drugs and alcohol. But a great heart. Wanted to please God, but just struggled with alcohol and drugs. And we had another guy who was pretty straight. And he, he was professionally trained to play the piano. And I mean, he would play the piano with just like smoke. It would be so fast and so accurate. And so we had two songs... Uh, specials during the banquet, Christmas banquet, one from each of the piano players. So they brought up the professional guy first. Same age, Bible college students. He got up there, and I mean, he was tickling those ivories, hitting every note amazingly. Smoke was coming up. It was so fast. But I didn't feel a thing. But it was amazing. Then right after him was the other guy, the PK kid. And he just touched the piano key, ding, and I felt the presence of God just go whoop and hit me. And he was probably just a week off of another struggle that we had to deal with. And I remember thinking at that moment, wow, that's a big difference. One is in the spiritual realm that God is moving through. The other is in the natural male. And I remember running to one of our senior pastors at the time, and that senior pastor said, oh, can you, could, did you notice the difference between those two piano players? Because the, the PK kid, although he was anointed, he just used chords. And I said, oh, yeah, thank God. I'm not the only one. Yes. And the senior pastor said to me, yeah, the, the first guy was so great. And the second guy, the PK, he was just okay. And I thought, no, 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 no. You got it opposite. What's wrong with you? Do you understand there's a whole realm of Christians who are going to heaven, who are living life out of their natural man, and they are trying to act like Christians. They're not putting to death the deeds of the body. They are denying and controlling and disciplining. That's not the same as mortifying. Mortifying the deeds of the body is you kill that sucker. You kill the voice. If you're dead... And I stand over top of you and tell you you're ugly. Your mama's ugly. You're not going to yell back at me. I can reach in and steal your money out of your pocket. And you're not going to respond. Because you're dead. Mortification means dead. But he obviously isn't meaning to mortify your fingers and your toes. He's talking about the voice of your body, which is the natural part of your soul. Now it was left for dark. See, look here in Romans. I'm trying to get to John. Let me just go back to Romans 8. So it's the job of the prayer center for us to articulate what we mean when we talk about this move of the Spirit. Because, like, if I were to say, well, we got friends here from Denver, right? Colorado-ish. Oh, you moved to Idaho. Because this, this joke won't work as good. It won't sting as good now that you're in Idaho. But if I were to say, going to Walmart in Denver, in Colorado, and I were to say, grab a little helper and say, I'm here for 
uh, I'm here to buy a pot. Here to buy a pot. See, what would they say to me? Uh, what kind of pot? Do you want a pot for cooking in the stove? Do you want a big pot, a little pot? Do you want a pot for planting things in? Do you want uh, uh, the pharmacy kind of pot? Like, what do you mean by pot? Well, when we say words that we just Christianese, spirit, soul, and body, we have to articulate what we mean by that because other people will take it and have it mean something different and not realize it. And we're supposed to be the ones to articulate it. I've been down there where I ran ahead and tried to serve God and came to a dead end in every area, financially, physically, in the amount of anointing, the amount of God's power, in seeing people healed, that I had to come to a place to where, hey, I'm going to spend time with someone who could really help me, the Holy Spirit. I put those into when you have an old farmer back in the old day and his son turns, uh, gets the seventh grade, and they say, that's enough schooling for you, boy. I need you to work on the farm to help pay the bills. So they take their son out of school and they put him to work in the fields, stopping his education, his learning to who he is. So he's stuck there with his education because it was the dad put him to work rather than a good dad saying, I'm going to, now back in the day they didn't know any better, but I'm going to work harder so you can get educated and do better than I ever did. But that's what happens to a lot of our churches. That's what happened to me before I found the message of the prayer center, the message of the Holy Spirit of praying in tongues, was they put me to work just as I was saved. Hey, you're saved. Come on, let's go to work. And it wasn't focused on growing. It was focused on being better. Hey, you should quit that and do this and and do this and stop that. But when you don't have a moral fortitude in you, you fumble around. That's why I needed the help of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 10. And if Christ is in you, so how many have Christ in you? Wave your hand really high. Yeah, oh, praise God, praise God. The body is dead. So I'm confused because I asked Jesus in me, but I didn't drop dead. But here he says the body is dead because of sin. See, what he's saying here is your body, your outward body, with its soul, mind, will, and emotions, was left in darkness. It was left in death. That's why God is going to replace it at the sound of a trumpet. But he hasn't replaced it yet. That's why you have to deal with it. But the Spirit is life. But see, Christ is already in you, so he's not talking here about the new nature. He's saying here the inner man, the opposite of the outward man, is alive because of righteousness. The righteousness of the new nature brought to life the inner man. So now you can look to the outward man and you can mortify the deeds of the outward man. We won't go there, but you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and you can read all about the, the inner man and the outward man. But I want to go to this verse here in John chapter 8. Because there's a part of ministry here that I think is very important for us to realize the potential 
of what God can do to help people. We have up here at the pulpit, not in the back, not in the hallway, not in the closet. We have up here in the pulpit our box of children who need extreme miracles. And we've yet to be able to get them healed. Where the word says they're already healed. So what's better for you? Now I'm talking to the prayer center now. To go out out of anxiousness, unfulfillment, and go and just get busy? Or to spend time learning the process that's necessary for us to see these kids healed? See, that's our mission. So when someone says, hey, you need to quit doctrine and start doing God's will, I've heard that lots over the last few months. I know how the enemy works, how he brings in things to try to intellectually, natural intellectually, maneuver, manipulate to get you to feel like you're failing. Spending time in worship, in prayer, you're just wasting your time. We need both. We need to know who we are so we can step out in who we are. That's what doctrine's for. Learning who you are so you can step out in who you are. Because if you step out and it doesn't work, you need to go spend more time with the Spirit of God working in you because you're the problem, not God. Nor the person. Well, you just don't have faith. You just don't have faith. I'll tell you some of the people who can pray the best. I mean, you you ask them to pray. They can spit out incredible prayer. I mean, curl your toes, knock your socks off, but no power. But they're great at praying. Some of the people I know who can preach the best are articulate. They can paint pictures with their words. But yet the revelation isn't correct. Do you understand when you have a revelation, how many had God show you something? Now, where did, he, where did he show that to you? This is what I'm trying to articulate, how it works. Where, well, does he just come, he talks down to my spirit and we point to our belly? Way down in my spirit. No, you have a spiritual mind that's in your spiritual head, the inner man. And when God speaks to you, he doesn't speak to your belly button. He speaks to your ears in your spirit man. But he leaves out the natural man. That's why the understanding is unfruitful, because the natural part of your brain cannot understand the things of God. So now that you're born again, even if you don't have a high school diploma, a Bible college diploma, like Hans was preaching this morning, you can know the deep things of God. Because you're born of him. That's what it means by the outward man. The, the flesh was left dead. But the spirit is alive because of righteousness. The righteousness of the new nature brought to life your inner man. And now you can learn from the inner man who you are and walk from there. But unfortunately, so many believers are walking with God, serving God through their outward man. And you will never get to revival that way. We can, the best we can do is walk like the Old Testament saints. That's why they quote a lot of the Old Testament promises. I'm blessed like Abraham's blessed. And they use those verses to quote how to rule this earth, where in essence God wants you to mortify that and let the inner man grow and mature to the fullness that you can walk in all the promises of God. So John chapter 8, and then we're going to close here. Verse 1. This is the verse that he's taught me 
about something he can do. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came, verse 2, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman is caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? And they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without a sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote in the ground. And those who heard it, being convicted in their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. Now there's so much preaching we could do in this and just how, you know, what Jesus wrote in the sand. And I won't go into that because it's all opinions. I have an opinion about what he wrote. Probably their sins. I think he wrote her sins first and then their sins second. And then looked at them. And because of him being the Lamb of God, he wiped out her sins. When Jesus raised himself up and said, and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Now see, he could have condemned her. He was the only one who was perfect. He could have condemned her. But here he stepped into his role of the Lamb of God and took her sins off of her and forgave her. Because he says this really important line. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of darkness, or the light of life. He shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So Jesus, as a lamb, forgave here, but he did something even more powerful. He said, go and sin no more. Now that always puzzled me, because she was not born again. He, in his role of the lamb, this moment was just like if she had taken a lamb to the high priest to cover her sins. And he would say, you're forgiven. But she would have to come back every year and do the same thing. This was Jesus as the lamb washing her and forgiving her of her sins. She's still not saved because he was not glorified yet. If that woman didn't accept Jesus, then she's in hell today because she had to still accept Jesus as the Savior. And that was Jesus' message, right, to the Israel, was trying to get them from one covenant to the next, to the New Testament. So, but he did something in her in that moment that allowed him to say to her, go and sin no more. Because if by nature she's a sinner, she's not born again yet. She is 
locked into her weaknesses and her struggles, only has a discipline to fight it. But obviously she doesn't have that much discipline or she would have been caught in the first place. So this had to be more than a command to do something that she was going to fail at, or I believe Jesus wouldn't have told her to do that. Because we all struggle with different things from our flesh, our outward man. And hers was, for whatever reason, ending up in adultery. So when he said, go and sin no more, here's my preaching. I believe that there is a place in Jesus, through God, where someone could come broken in their natural man. Insecure, broken. I don't pick on people who are not saved and say, you need to change because they're sinners. It won't matter if they change or not. They need to get saved is what they need to do. But you carry the brokenness over. But there is a a ministry to where by the anointing, God's able to reach into that brokenness in the natural man, the natural part of your soul, and kill it. Now, your job is to do it, but there's a place in ministry where God will help you do that. Maybe it's a brokenness to the past, like four-year-old Alan. I had one time, I left a place that was very controlling. And when you're under control, being controlled, you become so so normal you don't realize it. And I left, God had led me out into a different place. And I was gone to go meet a lady who I respected. She was an intercessor and just a real honorable lady. And I asked her to pray for me. And she prayed for me and I felt things lift off of me. It was a part of me that justified in myself. It was a part of my natural man, my natural emotions that had allowed with myself to submit to control. I was fighting with was I could never get approval. And that was how I was being controlled, was they let you help them, but they never gave you approval, so you never did enough. See, the problem was with me, not with them. And in that moment, I felt it change. Something changed me. Something from another person praying for me changed in me and set me free from that. I was set free. And I believe there is a place in ministry in the future. I don't see it now. I think the things I see now that are promised are, are just empty promises from the pulpit in, in many places where they tell people to come and change, come and find God, and we set people up for failure, make them promises. Oh, you were touched by God. Praise God. Then they go home alone and they fight with the same thing over and over again. Well, maybe God didn't do it. There's a place in God, and it's a miracle as much as the blind scene. That's how big of a miracle it is, where people can be set free by the help of God through a person's walk with God, set free from things that they have a hard time fighting against. Hope that made sense. It's where we're going, the place of the impossible. But we cannot get the impossible out of the possible. And so we have to start articulating, I believe, articulating what the walk of the Spirit is versus what the walk of the Spirit means to someone else. Because if I say we had a move of the Spirit in the church today, one church will think are thinking people laying on the floor weeping. Listen, I've been in it, been in there weeping and crying. Nothing changed. 
I, a move of the Spirit to me is when something changes in me that never comes back. That's a move of the Spirit. When I hear people say, you just don't have boldness. That's why you're not out praying for the sick. All I have to do is say, listen, I've got a box up here. And Gary will tell you, he'll pay your bill to go fly to go pray for these kids. You have to ask Gary. I won't. <laughs> he will. <clears throat> Let's just say, if you're okay to go pray for someone to be healed just because you want to, well, we'll see what God can do. That's the most selfish thing that you could ever say. Because you're willing to damage someone who's already damaged just to prove that you're doing your job. How about we just switch it? Instead of praying for the sick, the blind to see and the deaf to hear randomly, how about you believe God for a billion dollars? Because that's, you know, we'll say you believe in God for a billion dollars is as much a miracle as you seeing the blind seeing. You got the same chance. That one uh, joke where the boy goes up to the really pretty girl and says, what's the chance of me dating you? And she said, well, there's no chance. Is there any chance? Okay, one in a million. So you're saying there's a chance. That old, that old joke. So we'll say there's a chance that you can see the blind see by just stepping out and praying for them. Well, let's just say instead of it being the blind seeing, because you can pray for the blind, say, well, Jesus bless you and walk off. How about you bringing in a billion dollars by faith? Because there's an chan- equal chance for both. But see, that makes it more tangible, doesn't it? If you can't bring in a billion dollars, then don't go pray for the sick until God tells you to. And Hans did a great job saying this morning, he may tell you, just go say God loves you. But we have produced a crop of believers that run around doing things in the name of God, be out of insecurity, out of their natural man, trying to bring the kingdom of God forward. The kingdom of God is not of the flesh. It's not of the outward man. It's of the inner man and of the spirit. I'm going to close there. Keep praying. Keep spending time with God. Keep listening. You are on a path of revival. Don't compare yourself to others. Be okay not doing stuff that God didn't tell you to do. Be okay doing that. Amen. Let's pray. Father, right now we do lift up every person that is going through emotional struggles and battles. And I can see from John 8 that you have a ministry of being able to step into those people, into us, and bring deliverance from our natural emotions, our natural brokenness. So, Father, we thank you. That's the place that we're going. And anyone who is broken, I speak hope and life that through the spirit that is alive inside of them, they can have access to all of God and there's nothing they cannot overcome. They don't need to be intimidated or afraid of anything because by their spirit, by the spirit in them, they can mortify the deeds of the natural man. So, Father, right now, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your help by your presence in each of our lives to be freed up and set free from bondages of the natural man so we'll know who we are in you And we'll be confident in our walk with you. I thank you for that now. In Jesus' name.
And Father, I speak courage in each person that's listening, strength to keep obeying and keep following God, to never, ever, ever feel behind. In Jesus' name, amen. And we love you. God bless you. And so glad you're here. Let's go change the world. If you like prayer, you're welcome to come up to the green line.